Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The words I'll be reflecting on come from Galatians 5, specifically verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand therefore, firm therefore, and do not submit against to a yoke of slavery. You may be seated. So as I mentioned at the beginning of worship some 499 years ago, a young friar by the name of Martin Luther uh, stood in front of the door at the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, with some concerns that he had. Because for a, a number of years he'd been asking questions of how do you, you please God and, and how do you just make us all work? And he was able to scour the scriptures and hear of God's grace. And so he wanted to have a conversation with people about the truth of the scriptures. And so that's how the church got started. If he knew that there was a church body named after him, he'd be turning over in his grave. He had no intentions of starting a whole new church. He just wanted some changes. And so he, he became a man that one man made a difference. And in here we get to gather and celebrate the Reformation. But if we just leave it all about Martin Luther and his work, he, we'd lose the ultimate message of the Reformation, which is the truth of Jesus Christ. And how we can cling to that as Christians. And, and that's what I'm going to be reflecting on, on today. And, and Jesus wants us to hold on to the truth also. Right? So he says in John chapter 8, our gospel lesson, he says, Listen, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. In other words, you're, you're following my heart. You're, you're following me. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the kind of freedom that Jesus is talking about, it, it wasn't political, it wasn't social. He was talking to people who were oppressed. He's talking to you and me on this side of the resurrection. He's saying, just hold on to my word and, and know the truth. I have set you free. And let me be the center. And ages, even after, as, as early as Jesus going up to be with um, his Father in heaven, there was a muddying of the gospel that he set people free. And so Paul writes to a community of believers in Galatia, the text that we're going to have for today. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand, therefore, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What's Paul getting at? Back in the early days of the Christian church, especially in Galatia, there was a group of Jewish Christians that were looking at the Gentiles and, and they were questioning whether or not they truly belonged to the people of God. They didn't look like them. They didn't act like them. They didn't follow their customs. And so they took it upon themselves to go to these Gentiles and say, listen, you do not have the kingdom of God. You're not part of his family unless you start to look and act like us. So gentlemen, if you're not circumcised, you need to get yourself circumcised. Because without circumcision, there's no covenant promise. There's no salvation. You're still out. And Paul's like, whoa, hold the phone. You, Galatians, you know Jesus. Right? He already came. Do not let a man-made rule and, and some tradition keep you from believing that you have the assurance of salvation. And, and so he's, he's, you already have it, he's saying. Don't let anybody take that away from you. The Jewish Christians have their tradition, and you Galatian Christians, you have yours also, but hold on to the one thing that holds us together, the truth that Jesus has set us free. 
And so the church for years keeps wrestling with this question of what more do we need to do in order to earn God's love? And Martin Luther was wrestling with that question. Okay? This is the question Martin Luther is asking and was asking, many people ask this question. What must I do to win God's forgiveness for my sins? And here's the problem. Back in his day, there was some abuses going on by religious people in his day. They were playing on the fears of the general public. People that had loved ones that went off to paradise and and they were wondering, is my loved one truly there? Even though they knew they believed in Jesus. And what the church was teaching then was, well, I don't know. And so some of the people took that upon themselves. John Tetzel was one of them. And he was abusing his power, his authority. And he was selling indulgence and saying, in order for you to truly earn salvation, you need to buy one of these. If you buy one of these, then your loved one will be there. It's another man-made rule that was saying there's something else that you have to do in order to earn God's love. And it was an abuse. And and Martin Luther wrestled with this also and he scoured the scriptures. And when he scoured the scriptures, he came across these phrases. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes, Martin Luther says, right? Yes, all have fallen short and, and I'm there. he's one that wrestled with his sinful condition and he thought there's no way that God could truly love him. But the scriptures continue. And verse 24 says, we're all justified by his grace as a gift. We're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There was no man-made rules that he needed to follow. He just needed to hold on to the truth of the scriptures. And that's the message of the Reformation. The gift of God's grace through the work and love of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts and we can hold on to that. So, my fellow believers in Jesus, let no man-made rule or tradition stand in your way of clinging to the gift of salvation. Jesus has already worked that for you. It's, It's yours. Don't let anybody take it away. It's yours. God's greatest gift of his grace. No strings attached. He just wants us to be able to live in his freedom. And we're going to talk about that from now on. You heard the question that the ages, churches of the ages was asking is what do I need to do to earn God's love or or his forgiveness? Well, something happened in the last couple of decades. There's been a change. People aren't asking that question anymore. People who do not believe in God aren't even, they're not asking that question. They don't even allow for a God to exist. Societies before, they allowed for it. Okay. Not anymore. If there are unbelievers, I mean, the rising population of people within the Western culture are atheists, non-believers. There isn't even a God to follow. And so with that, they, they start to make up some of their own hearts, desires, and, and they hear a message that's, that's tugging on the heartstrings of our younger generations. Probably 40 and under are, are hearing a message loud and clear. Okay. And the church is just one message of noise. 
And, and maybe you've seen a parable that has come across your TV screens recently. And I'm going to show this message, but hear what the message is and how it tugs on the hearts of our young. All right? So here it is. If it's a little loud, I apologize. Did you hear the message? What was it? You don't own me. Don't tell me what to do. Right? That is tugging on the heartstrings of our youth. It, it's something that they, they believe deep down ingrained in their soul. And it's, it's, they don't want to be labeled. Okay. And... and TV commercials only have 30 seconds, so there's nothing that happens in a TV commercial by way of communicating a message that happens by accident. Right? Everything in a TV commercial is intentional. So do you notice the boss? Do you notice that he was a white male? Right. The biggest argument that a lot of people have nowadays is the uppity-ups. Or it's, it's a white male-driven society. And so what happens in this TV commercial? This male looks at the work of this woman with disdain and disgust. And here she is, right? A young gal with, she put her heart and soul into the work that she's done. And here, look at this. I mean, and she's seeking approval. And this guy publicly, I mean, we could see it all taking place in the kitchen. He slams it down into the ground with judgment and disgust. And what does she do? She get me out of here. Just get me out of here. And so she goes and, and she, she, she flees and she seeks her own freedom from this establishment. And that is the message that the young are hearing and holding onto and grasping by droves. And, and they're, don't, you don't own me. Don't label me. So anything that does that, they push back against. So if it's your boss, if it's your, your job, if it's the government, if it's a conservative message from a conservative church, they're saying, whoa, I, I don't need your judgment. You don't own me. You can't label me. I want to be free to be what I want to be. And it's a message that, it's what their hearts are hearing. It's, it's, does it make sense to you? It's what they're hearing and being bombarded with, and it's becoming the truth of the day. But the problem is, that truth of the day, when we're following our wayward hearts, our heart's desires, is it's just left of center. When we follow our heart and what we want to do, we don't have a truth. Your truth is not my truth. It's not Pastor Bender's truth. It's, it's, it's whatever we want to do. And we need something to be anchored on. Or we're just going to go adrift. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, let me be the center. Hold on to my truth. And that's what Paul gets at. And that message has never changed. He's saying, look, the truth has never changed. I've never changed. I'm still here. Don't drift. Don't buy into the lie. Let me be your sinner. So what can we do as the older generations of Christians? Because we're going to encounter those non-believers that are holding on to this is their reality. 
Well, first of all, we need to start to build a relationship with one in each and every one of them that does not have a heart of judgment. They push back against judgment, and they know it. They can see it in our eyes when we look at them dressed differently than us, acting differently than us. They can see it. They come into our parking lot, and before they even come into our doors, they know there's judgment because we're all wearing suits and ties and Sunday best, and they're not. Do they have a place here? So they leave before they even get to hear the word of the gospel. So what do we do? We get to be out on the streets proclaiming the love of Jesus Christ, opening our heart to them, not compromising the truth, but opening our heart to them, recognizing, listen, we're not perfect. We're we're sinful people. But we're loved by a God that loves us and he wants to change us and get us to be more in line with his plan for our lives. And he wants us to live a life of freedom and not get caught up in following our sinful desires, which lead to nothing but destruction. And so the message of the scriptures is still relevant today as it has been since they've been penned, since God inspired the prophets to write it. And the message of the day is simply what we have, again, from Galatians. He says, listen, you, my brothers, you're called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge in a sinful nature. He also says in verse 16, I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Church, you and I have been free by the greatest gift of love that anyone can do for us. And sometimes what we do is we look at the cross and we say, thanks God, but I really don't want it. Or that's the way we act. Because we act a whole lot differently outside of these walls. And Paul's saying in Scripture, don't go there. He's saying, look, you already know the sinful desire. You already know how it's wreaking havoc. And, 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 and it's obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, even in your thoughts. Okay. He's saying sensuality, idolatry, which means to put something else above God, sorcery or witchcraft, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Who, who's been angry lately or holding a grudge against somebody? Paul's saying we don't need to do that. Divisions, dissensions, rivalries, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And he goes on, he says, all these things like this. And there's a, there's a message, a, a warning. He's saying, listen, I warn you, as I warned you before, those that do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If, if we hold on to our wayward heart as being our truth, and we are not centered on Christ, You notice this isn't a man-made rule. This is God, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is him telling us this. He's saying, align your life with me, the true sinner, and live free. That stuff that I just mentioned to you is filled with lies and pain and hurt and destruction, and it robs from one another. Rather be like my son. And we know who Jesus was, right? Jesus was the one that was the loving one. He was the joyful one. He's the peaceful one, the patient one. Look at the stories in all the scripture. He's patient with those that don't know who he is. He's patient. He's kind. He's good. He's faithful and gentle. He's he's a man of self-control. 
Jesus was all those things. And, and he came down from heaven and he acted as our substitute so that we could be free from the consequences of our sin. We don't need to look at the cross and say, thanks, but I'm going to do things my way. We, we don't need to lock ourselves in a prison of our sinful nature. What we can do is say, you did that for me. You gave up everything for me. And I ask that you change my heart. Help me stay true to who you are. Help me live free. Because while the messages of of the world is saying embrace yourself or embrace who you are, it, 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 it stops short. What it really should be is embrace who you are in Christ. We all have an identity in Christ Jesus and we get to embrace who that is. And he gives us a way to be empowered with, our, with his word. And in just a few moments, we're going to be able to receive an, an amazing gift through the sacraments. And, and there are some in our midst today that are going to be receiving the gift of communion for the very first time. And as you come forward, eighth grade students, and, and you get to receive this, this gift, hear these words as they're spoken to you. This is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. So as you kneel at this altar and you receive that gift, God's speaking directly to your heart and he's saying, I have you. You're mine. I will strengthen you. Now go in power to live a free life and give witness to my grace and mercy. And that's the gift that's for everyone, young and old. Every time we gather at this altar, Jesus is saying, you know that sin, that immorality, that, that thought that keeps going through your head, that keeps tripping you up, the anger, the bitterness, the rage, the malice? He's saying, leave it here at my cross. I'm going to take it. It's already taken, is what he's saying. Don't go embrace that again. Go and live in the freedom that Jesus has given us. Go and live true to my word. You see, as Christians, we have the greatest freedom in the world. And we carry it with us everywhere we go. We just saw little Jack marked with it. The sign of the cross on his forehead and on his heart. It's he's one who's been redeemed by our crucified and risen Lord. You too carry that cross with you everywhere you go. It's the greatest symbol of our freedom. Greater than the American flag. Greater than what Toyota wants you to think is a symbol of freedom. Their 2017 Corolla. Right? the cross of Christ. May we lift that banner high. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard our hearts and our lives in Christ Jesus. Amen.